Accidental Safety Pro, brought to you by Vivid Learning Systems and the Health and Safety Institute, episode number two. My name is Jill James, Vivid's Chief Safety Officer, and today I'm joined by our guest, Brandy, a fellow friend in safety. Brandy's from the Midwest and is currently a safety director at a sugar beet processing facility. Welcome, Brandy, and thanks for talking with me today. Certainly. Thanks for having me. So, Brandy, first question, how many years about have you been working in the safety field? Boy, I should know that off the top of my head. Let's go with about 10. About 10 10 years. In safety and um, a handful of years before that in environmental. Wow. Okay. So well over a decade of experience now. Yes. So the the central question for each of these podcasts is um, for safety professionals like you and I to share how we got into safety because none of our paths seem to be a direct route. Um, However, today, let's let's ease into your story, taking it bit by bit, as my uh, favorite author, Anne Lamont, suggests as we tackle stories. So, Brandy, you have a college degree or degrees. Um, What's your major and how did you pick it? Sure. I started in my undergrad with environmental science. And um, initially, I, I started working in the DNR program, so natural resources, thinking I would tromp around in the woods and, and <laughs> love the outdoors in Minnesota here. Um, but I soon realized that I probably didn't want to only make $20,000 a year. So um, <laughs> in changing my plans, I still focused in environmental and really looked at the industrial side of how to protect the environment. So that's basically how I started my career in an environmental compliance role. I was fortunate mm-hmm. enough to get into a company where environmental health and safety was all one department. And so mm-hmm. right off the bat, I had exposure to safety through the peers that I worked with every day. Yeah. And so in that, in that first job, environmental health and safety, what did you, what did you think of the safety pieces? Like, were you picking it up as you went or did you think, oh, I'm sort of interested in that or nah, that seems kind of boring? Funny you should ask. So my first job um, after school was in the aerospace and um, military support industry. And I recall very vividly one of the first times in a 7,000 acre facility that produced small caliber ammunition. And walking through that facility in the different departments and the different expectations around safety, um, it was intense. It was very intense. And not really having a lot of industrial um, experience prior to that, when they handed me a copper pole that I needed to drag on the floor to stay grounded. Oh, my um, gosh. (laughs) It really opened my eyes uh, to the reality and the exposure and the hazards that these people worked in every single day. And while my focus was learning the technical aspects of environmental compliance for this industry, it certainly was interwoven with safety through and through. Um, So I continued to focus on environmental, but every time I was in a facility to audit them or to support them in whatever manner, um, it it had a ton of safety-related components as well. Yeah. So as you were, as you're dragging the copper rod around and, and every time you went back to those kind of facilities, did the safety piece sort of call out to you? Like, this seems really maybe more intriguing than I'm doing right now. Or how was that feeling in you? Oh, it was funny because initially I was super engaged with learning in the environmental arena. I mean, a new career, 
learning the piece that that was my role. I was really engaged. But after two to three years, mm-hmm. I kind of started getting bored with the technical permits and the stuff mm-hmm. and started really focusing on the people piece and how I could coach them. I was in mm-hmm. more of a corporate role and supported about 35 manufacturing sites throughout the United States. So as I started becoming comfortable in my technical expertise, I started transitioning from the stuff piece and caring more about the people piece. Um, Mm -hmm. And as my career blossomed and I changed jobs, I stayed in uh, environmental for my second job, Mm -hmm. but um, found that, again, the people piece called out to me much more so than the technical aspects of wastewater and uh, hazardous waste and air emissions. So it pulled on me basically. And everywhere I went, I had that opportunity to really engage in the safety arena. Mm-hmm. So what was your, when did you make that transition into safety from environmental? Was it after, is, was it in job number two? It was in job number two slash three. So okay. job number two had an upheaval in the environmental department. Um, I worked for a large retail company where there were challenges and they chose to kind of blow up the environmental department, which I sat in. And mm. I was able to maintain a job with them under a project management scope, mm-hmm. which was okay for the time being, but really had no passion for it. So fortunately enough, I started my master's degree when I was in job number two. And that mm-hmm. master's degree was um, out of the University of Minnesota Twin Cities for public health with a focus on occupational health and safety. And wow. so as I started working through that that classwork and building my more formal credentials in safety, I was able to get job number three, which, um, you know, I sound like a job jumper, but no, not at all. Six, seven years, you kind of transition, right? When opportunities arise, you take them. I think that sort of started with um, with some of the Gen Xers, and it's certainly very common with millennials right now. Right. So, and I fit... I'm a tweener, so I'm, I'm a little bit of both of those. Um, mm-hmm. So job number three, I finished my master's degree in, but I was fortunate enough to get in environmental health and safety, which 90% of that job was safety, supporting, again, about 23 facilities that produce corn or soybeans. So kind of changing um, out of retail and back into that manufacturing setting, which I actually found much more rewarding. Sure. So when you when you decided to go back to grad school and earn your master's degree, how did you discover that you wanted to focus on safety? Was it some of what you had been gleaning from those first two jobs that helped you make that decision? I would say, again, recognizing the people piece felt much yeah. more appropriate for me to be focused on was one big thing. But then in all reality, it seems like when you job search in environmental or safety, it's Mm -hmm. traditionally globbed together, environmental health and safety. And I knew in my future, I would be moving to a rural area Mm -hmm. um, just based on my my family dynamics. And I thought, how am I going to be most successful? Um, I still enjoyed the environmental aspects. I didn't necessarily want to give that piece up completely. And Mm -hmm. how am I going to be successful in promoting myself in a rural area. And I really felt that third job transition, it opened up the door for me to get into safety more holistically. And it also opened up that door because it was an egg-based company. 
So finding a way to be successful in the goal of moving to a rural area was a big um, decision factor going back to school and of building out my resume toward safety as well. Right. So you diversified your portfolio based on what you what you assumed would be the opportunities in the geographic area um, where you're going. Well, you summarized that better than I did. Good job. <laughs> I'm listening today. I'm taking it in. Thank you. So here you are with, then in the in the agricultural setting um, with, did you say gra- the grain um, industry mm-hmm. in the grains? So, soy uh, seed industry, basically. So soybeans and corn. Yeah. And so was that kind of one of the first opportunities you had to really dig into this people piece that that seems to be um, what you what your passion is at this point in your career anyway? Yes. I mean, I had the opportunity to go out and hear and see how people really had needed to apply themselves in the job. And, um, you know, that industry has some older facilities. We had to problem solve around a lot of different things that really required you to work with the folks on the floor. And mm-hmm. there, too, it fed that passion of you know, looking at this, this person who could be my dad, my brother, my, my mm. sister, whomever, and saying, I don't want them to get hurt. I don't want them to struggle at work the way maybe sometimes people do. And mm-hmm. the safety piece is always good to look at and take away at least that struggle. If you can mm-hmm. if you can start with taking away that from their everyday concerns, I really think that that it's a it's a good place to start. It's a good place to to put some energy. Right, and it helps with it helps with their their buy-in and believability into the work that you're doing on their behalf as well if they can authentically feel that. Absolutely, and I'll tell you what, the people, the men and women I work with in in that position and the one I'm in today, they know what they're doing. They know their business best. And if I can put my listening ears on and truly hear what they're saying and try to understand the day-to-day complexities that they face, I'm much better off and I'm much more believable and committed to what it is that we can do to change and improve the situation. Yeah, I think that's a really important piece. I I want you to bring us up to speed on kind of where you went next, but I let's just focus for a second on on how you did that because I think I think other safety professionals listening um will want to hear a little bit about like how do you go about engaging in those conversations with your employees? Like what's your approach that how do you how do you become that trusted advisor to them that they want to tell you about your jo- about their job and their work? How, how do you enter into that? You know, this world is so busy, and especially in the position I'm at today, I feel like there's so much work that I could be doing behind a computer screen, Mm -hmm. but just give them the time. I mean, honestly, give them focused time is a big thing where you're not checking the clock and, you know, yeah, I got five minutes for you or minimizing what they have to say. Um, I think another big piece is learning who you're working with from a personal aspect and showing some genuine care as a human being. Mm -hmm. Everybody has things going on in life. Mm -hmm. And if you can, you know, celebrate the good things in their life, whether it be a new baby or marriage or grandchild, whatever it might be, a new cabin or hobby that they're excited about, or really being that person that says, hey, I see you're you're not your normal self. How are you doing? Mm -hmm. Give them the time to actually process as a person first. I'll tell you what, that goes a long way. Mm-hmm. And Could if you be, don't even talk yeah. about safety in that conversation, 
they remember that. So when you do come back to ask their opinions or to ask, you know, about their position and the challenges they face or the good things that they face in regards to safety, they're willing to open up so much quicker. And that wall of well, your management or your, you know, you don't know what I have to go through really comes down. Right, right. But I think you have to be sincere. And that sometimes mm-hmm. is hard when you have so much on your plate mm-hmm. and you feel like you've got to run to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when when you have those relationships built, I think at least it also makes it easier for the employees to come to you as when when something's going sideways or when they have a concern they're not like "Mm, i don't know if i could talk to her about that or you know they're not going to make a difference anyway so why would i you know i I feel like people are more apt than to reach back to you when you have built those relationships i wholeheartedly agree another major component in what you're talking about is consistency Mm -hmm. so that they know what they're going to get from you Mm -hmm. so don't waver on that consistency don't treat people differently And that's sometimes hard to do because some folks you have a better relationship with or you just have more in common. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But it's hard. You know, you have to maintain that consistency amongst people. And you have to also, the other piece that's really important is making sure that follow through is kept kept up. So when you say you're going to do something, you better do something because they remember everything you don't do. Right. Yeah, do Promise not overpromise and underdeliver. <laughs> so true. Right. So yeah. true. So and so hard. <laughs> well, and again, you walk around even with a notepad and writing it down, and that visualization that they see that you're taking the time to even write it down, mm-hmm. that it matters enough that it hit your notepad is an indicator to them that you're taking it serious and that you believe in what they're telling you and that you're going to investigate and understand it further. So I think that that effort goes a really long way. Mm -hmm. I, you know, that people piece in making those connections, um, a real early mentor I had, somebody I barely knew, but um, I learned something from him. I was doing an internship after my um, after grad school, and it happened to be at the Department of Military Affairs. And there was this general that would come and visit um, the installation that I was working at as a civilian. And he would know like everything about all of the people that mm-hmm. he was talking to. And people were always like, how does the, I mean, this general, he's like, there's like a lot of people in all of these areas. Like, how could he possibly know some of these details about people? And the general had this little secret. He kept recipe cards <laughs> on individuals that he was going to be talking with. And when he had met with someone, he had like their name down. And then he wrote down little tips about them, like, you know, daughter has a soccer game or, you know, some, some fact about their family or some situation or a clue into the conversation they had. So the next time he arrived at a place, he'd take out his little cards. He'd be studying before he arrived at the location so he could kind of pick up where he left off. And, uh, it was, it was his way of doing that because, you know, humans being what they are when we have that you know lots and lots of people to manage he didn't have the bandwidth to memorize everyone's story but he had enough clues for himself to pick up with people and I thought god what a great idea (laughs) that is so funny because in my time working in safety the one thing I really try to do is at least remember their name Mm -hmm. and sometimes I get it wrong and they laugh at me and that's okay and I remind him, I've got like 400 people to remember. They got like one, you know, but right. <laughs> um, in regards to recipe cards, uh, one thing that has worked for me, and I use this a lot when I was traveling more and supporting several facilities because I did confuse the who was where and what their background story was. Mm-hmm. 
if you use your contract contacts in Outlook, you can add notes to people's names. And I would start putting notes just like that general where you, yeah. you know, write down three kids or you know the names of, of their spouse or whatever is really important to them. And I would mm -hmm. check check my contact list um, before <laughs> going to that plan because otherwise it all mishmashes together. Mm -hmm. so, I do the same. That's an electronics <laughs> way. It, it's the it's the new way to do that. That was a yeah. That was a story of something I learned probably oh gee maybe twenty years ago. <laughs> it works. And, it does work. It does work. Because so, you know what, when somebody talks to you about your family or whatever matters to you, you realize that they care about you. Exactly. There's effort. There's effort in that. Exactly. And we, we all appreciate that. We all appreciate that. So, so you're in that job and how long were you there? And then when did you make your next transition? You know, I was only there for about two and a half years and mm -hmm. the position I'm in today, um, opened up and it was close to my husband's family farm. So that was kind mm -hmm. of the direction we knew we were going to move back out to this rural area. And I basically just have the search engine open, if you will, mm -hmm. for for any type of environmental health and safety job in that area, because it really never came up. But maybe once a year, something might interest me that was within an hour of the farm. And mm -hmm. so when this position opened, I threw my name in the hat, not really thinking anything of it. And I really wasn't quite ready to leave the job that I was in. Mm -hmm. But the opportunity was too great. And I went through the interview process and was awarded, you know, awarded the job. And uh, I looked at my husband and said, well, there's a lot of challenges there. Are you ready to help me get, you know, get things going out that way? And he said, let's do it. Let's move. It's what our family plan was. And uh, it just happened a little bit quicker than I thought it would. Right, right. And so in your in your work today, is it kind of a balance between safety and health or is it more safety or how how is that? Are you are you still yeah. using both skill sets? No. Um in fact, I would say I really support environmental from the sheer fact that I see things in the plant that maybe are concerning and then I tell the environmental department about that. And mm -hmm. so my role is strictly focused on you know, employee safety, sure. whether that be sure. a temporary employee, a union employee, a management employee. Um, so where I'm at today has a ton of variables and it makes the job really interesting. Mm -hmm. And you have more than one location that you're supporting as well, right? Yes. So we have a processing facility here in Minnesota, and then there's also a sugar processing plant in Southern California and mm -hmm. a seed production facility for sugar beets mm -hmm. in Sheridan, Wyoming. Oh, so you get to you get to travel around but you also have um em employees in distant base. location. Yeah, right. And and so with this job, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you've told me before you actually have uh, it's more than just you with safety. You do have some other people supporting your work, especially in those other locations, right? Yes, and it has been a wild ride. I've been here now five and a half years, mm -hmm. and um, the department has transitioned dramatically. When I came on board, there was one other employee um, with a safety responsibility, and mm -hmm. they were an entry-level union employee. Basically, you could bid into that job, so there was no technical skill sets to support what I had them doing. But the role was there, and they were a tremendous help because that position supports all the inspections that are required. And in a facility that is over a section, 
um, in size, it's, it's a lot of ground to cover. So that person mm-hmm. does all of the fire extinguisher inspections every month, the eye washes weekly, and so forth and so forth. As many of us know, there's right. a ton of inspections. Right. Um, but since I started, I've also been able to get an environmental manager under hmm. me um, and another union employee that does support all of the heavy equipment training. So the, the department has grown, and mm-hmm. it's been really, really awesome to see that kind of support from the company and investment in safety, recognition that there's just a lot to do when you've got a facility like this. Right. And so everyone who is listening to this, who's a sole operator, is now suddenly totally jealous that you have people to help you in some of those areas. And and it sounds like um, you had to build consensus for that um, to be able to have support um, to get that help. Was that was that a huge challenge for you? How did you how did you go about getting some of those other positions in place? Hey, that's a fair question. And uh, I feel very fortunate having the support here. I guess one thing that I was able to do is really utilize some negotiating skills, right? When you want help, mm-hmm. what do you do? You highlight how much work needs to be done. And yeah. so in in defining the work that applied in the safety arena for the facility we ran, it was very clear that one professional could not accomplish doing just the programmatic, just the basic compliance aspects Uh, Mm -hmm. for the facility. And so when you provide that to your executive team and say, this is how my vision of how I see us being able to accomplish this, please support it. It it at least was was logical enough that they were willing to to provide that additional help. Furthermore, um, we had been in a place where it was clear that opportunities were abound. Let's just say it that way. There was Mm -hmm. a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. Um, some heavy lifting. And so when they, when it was summarized in front of them in a compelling way, it was clear support was needed. Yeah. So you built, you built your case, you built your story, and then you shared that story essentially with your management team. Absolutely. And, and really getting out on the floor and learning what people do was essential. So I had to at least have that credibility to start with. Yeah. And it took me, you know, about two years before I could even build that case and be capable of speaking clearly to the questions that they would have afterwards. So it's not something you just walk in and say, hey, this is what I want. Right. (laughs) Um, You kind of have to prove yourself and you have to show that commitment. And in all all honesty, when I started this job, I would bet on average I was working 12 to 14 hours a day, five and six, seven days a week. So um, it was a heavy lift, though, and I felt really obligated to get some structure in place to protect the people who work here mm-hmm. and, you know, recognizing historic issues. And they finally had somebody who who was writing down the issues, right? Mm-hmm. It, it just took a lot of time to process what that meant and how to most effectively address all the concerns. Sure. So you were triaging um, sort of the some of the worst scenarios so that you could put them and weave them into your story. But at the same time, when you're putting in all these hours, you're actually being able to make a difference for some of those for the for the low hanging fruit. That's the highest hazard things. Absolutely. And it was um, at a time in my life where I didn't have children, so I could really focus and dig in on this career. And it was so incredibly rewarding. 
to build that trust with the workforce and to understand the challenges that had plagued them year over year, or maybe they just felt like nobody was listening. Yeah. Um, and the challenge to make that difference. Every day I went home, I knew I had done something to protect somebody. Mm-hmm. And that, mm-hmm. that was incredibly rewarding. And mm. as I built this team, you know, I don't get as many opportunities because a lot of the low-hanging fruit is gone. But mm-hmm. now some of these big lifts that are, you know, six-month, year-long projects, when they're done, that sense of accomplishment comes back. And I just feel like for safety, there's never going to be there isn't an end. An end. <laughs> there isn't. It's just like learning about safety, right? I mean, there's there, we're never done learning about something with it. Either. That's what I love about it. Yeah, I mean, me, me too. The human factor, sure. Going back to my environmental technical background, you can read regulations. And you can understand situations are different. But when you add the human factor to everything you talk about and do, boy, oh, boy, it just changes. Yeah. It, just, it just makes things so interesting. And yeah. it challenges you in a way of problem-solving and strategy and communication every single moment of the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's kind of what keeps me driven towards continuous improvement. Yeah, it's fun if that's your thing with people. It is for me, and that's been the most favorite part of my career as well. So regarding people and regarding building credibility, sometimes those of us in safety have to build street cred with our employees. And sometimes that means working shoulder to shoulder. Sometimes that means doing things you never thought in your life you would do. So I'm, I'm over are, here laughing. <laughs> yeah, right? So oh, what are some of those what are some of those crazy jobs or tasks or things that you leaned into and just did it and went home that night and thought, you're never going to guess what I did today? <laughs> oh, well, super simple thing. And people may listen to this and think, really, that's not that big of a deal. But it's a big deal to the folks on the floor. So mm-hmm. unfortunately, the culture that I work in is management union. It's not mm-hmm. all employees. And so when somebody in management steps outside of a role, you know, it could be looked looked bad on from the union, like, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. Or mm-hmm. it could be, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they're doing that. Mm-hmm. And so even this week, I picked up a hose and started washing down the floor because it was slippery. And mm-hmm. I don't mean just a little bit of floor. I mean, like, a mile of floor. <laughs> so... So like an hour and a half later, I got the floor washed and, you know, (laughs) not that big a deal, but Mm -hmm. you know, when, when I had, you know, dozens of employees walk by, they saw that somebody in my position was focused enough. And I said, Hey, this is for your safety. I'm not going to walk through here when I have mud literally up to my knees. So it's not just cleaning the floor a little, it's like ridiculous. A lot of mud. Mm -hmm. A lot of mud. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that says something to the employees. There's that cred piece. I've been inside of some confined spaces that most people don't fit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that is not my most favorite thing to do because mm-hmm. I realize I'm a little claustrophobic. Didn't mm-hmm. know that before. Um, but yeah, when you crawl inside of a, a vessel that your hard hat doesn't even fit through the space. Yeah. And we expect employees to be working in there for eight-hour shift, a 12-hour shift. You get a good grasp of what we're asking these people to do. And if I'm not even willing to go in and at least view it or see it, what does that say? You know, Mm -hmm. what does that say, one, about our management and our company that we expect you to, but I'm not going to. And and from a credibility standpoint, when I crawl in there and I come out completely filled with soot and itchy with all the dust, you know, that's down to reap 
part of your pants and everything else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You laugh about it with the employees and and they appreciate that you at least recognize the challenge they face. Mm-hmm. And that as the safety a professional, you're taking every precaution to send yourself home safe as well. So when you're demonstrating what you're doing in those really high risk situations, it speaks to them. Absolutely. And, you know, it's really cool because you, you take the time to ask them, hey, show me how this is locked out. And they, right. they're excited to show you what they know and that they've got this. And mm-hmm. so we walk through the lockout and I apply my lock. And I say, hey, can you try it? I just want to make sure. Let's look right. over the procedure one more time. And we try it and everything's right. good. There's a sense of pride there. There's a sense mm-hmm. of, you know, what you taught us, we're taken serious or I'm going to protect myself. So don't, you know, don't worry. And it's cool that rapport that you build with the people, even though you're validating or checking what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They're doing it right. They are excited about it. And if there's a problem with it, you don't bash them over the head right away. Mm-hmm. Usually it's not on purpose. It's more of a coaching opportunity or mm-hmm. a, hey, let me learn more about this. Why didn't we do this? Right. Oh, there's this challenge. How do we get rid of this challenge? Right. And so you can take the process you know, more easily or whatever's going on. But it allows you that opportunity to dig in a little bit more, to learn more, to understand the everyday challenges that they face. Mm-hmm. You're willing mm-hmm. to get out there with them. It's pretty important. And, right. you know, one of the other things I'll mention is we've got an area of our facility that has a lot of particulate. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's a required respiratory protection area. And I had housekeeping tours that I was setting up. And I the CEO, I said, hey, Steve, come along with me. You know, and he's like, what? What do you need? You know, and like, come on, you're coming with me to one of the, the places in the plant that's what I would consider kind of miserable. I mean, mm-hmm. we can certainly work there safely with the proper precautions, but it's really not that enjoyable um, mm-hmm. because there's just dust everywhere. And so bringing my CEO out to that area, another way to build credibility is bring other people that your workforce doesn't expect. Yeah. And um, and highlighting the concerns to somebody who has the power to change them. Mm-hmm. I think your folks will appreciate that. And they will recognize that when you're with them, that you're doing it for a purpose. And that purpose is for them. And so, mm-hmm. you know, my hope out of that would be, or my results out of that would be that the recognition for ventilation mm-hmm. or for, you know, suppressing that dust or fixing the machinery that's allowing that dust source. And it's pretty cool when that starts to click in place because it not only gives your safety team credibility, but it also gives your executives credibility. And when you start doing that, your workforce management walls start coming down and that communication starts flowing easier because there's a belief that when there's a problem, things will be fixed. Right. So that's another it, really good way to build that credibility. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a both and, you know, if, if, um, if you need help convincing uh, a piece of, you know, a person in management that something needs to be elevated, um, to a higher level for attention, um, that's another way to do it is to, uh, have them accompany you in your work and not be, not be, um, not be scared to ask them to join you on those adventures either. I think it, I think that's really important. And like you said, it it shows the employees that uh, that uh, that management cares, and this person who's doing safety actually has their ear. Right now, one of the challenges with that is, you know, they're gonna that that executive team member is gonna ask you questions. Mm-hmm. You better be ready to respond to. You know what is acceptable. Yes, I have had industrial hygiene testing out here. 
Yes, I have validated that the PPE we're providing and the program that we've established is correct and accurate. Mm -hmm. And so it's good that they ask you those questions and learn more too from the technical safety aspects because it builds it builds their ability to evaluate risk or to understand the magnitude of what's going on. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you're bringing those executive team members out there, those <laughs> folks that have the ability to drive change, be prepared to answer questions. And if you don't know them, that's okay. You don't have to know everything, mm -hmm. but you do need to get back to them with the answer at some point. And right, so there right. goes that follow-up thing again, because for a safety professional, you don't only need the credibility on the floor. You need the credibility for the business aspect as well, because mm -hmm. you're going to be asking for money, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, you, you need to prove, build your... Yeah, yeah you got to prove that you're a priority and that you have good business sense and what you're asking for as well. Mm -hmm. Build your business case. And so backing up to your meeting with your executive team to ask for those um, people to, to help support the safety team and you're doing some hiring, when you're building your case, your business case for it, were you using data combined with some of these anecdotal stories like you're telling now, or how did you approach that? So as you have a team of people who are listening, you're kind of hitting each one on what might resonate with them to make a decision. Sure. Um, so I'm a super visual person. I struggle to just um, communicate without, you know, having a visual in front of me. And, and so maybe that kind of leads me to presentation style. Now, yeah. I, I, went out and I took photographs of every single piece of rolling stock in our facility. And so mm -hmm. we have a locomotive. We have a switcher. We have a, you know, we have several payloaders. We have forklifts, skid loaders, scissor lifts, and the list goes on. All in all, we have, you know, close to 75 pieces of rolling stock. And mm -hmm. so I took photographs and said, so what do you think the training looks like for this guy? And what do you think the training looks like for this guy? <laughs> oh, and did you know that Great. OSHA requires, you know, power industrial <laughs> yep. truck, XYZ, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and uh -huh. then, um, you know, I was able to hit the magnitude of rolling stock. And then I said, so what do you think our training statistics look like, guys? Well, they better all be trained. Mm. I said, really? Because here it is. And then I had a printout, you know, something physical for your team to mm -hmm. walk away with and think about. And the printout was a single page. That was it. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. I had 350 employees <laughs> and 75 pieces of rolling stock. And I had a single page of training saying, this is where we're at today. So yes. if we have any problem with this equipment causing an injury, um, mm -hmm. and you know, mm -hmm. how do you think these people should be trained to operate the equipment safely? Mm -hmm. And by the Beautiful. way, we have some non-compliance here, you know, and that usually mm -hmm. gets people going too. Um, right. But you, you give them the visual, okay, I've got lots of equipment okay, I have nobody trained. Oh my God, what are we going to do? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Crisis. Mm -hmm. um, and oh, by the way, OSHA dictates we do a lot more than this. Uh, so uh -huh. yeah, I, I think it worked. It, it definitely worked when I was lobbying for somebody to help me with, you know, yeah. heavy equipment training. Um, yeah, that's a great story. There's pieces, but you got to try to hit everybody's mode and, and everybody thinks different. So you can give them a visual. If you can give them something to walk away with, that's more statistics based. Um, yeah. To your point, Jill, data speaks. And a lot of times data speaks really loudly to people in these positions. Um, right. And then you add in, oh, did you know that the general fine is XYZ amount? And oh, did you know that powered industrial trucks create XYZ numbers of recordable injuries across the United States? And you give them yeah. those stats to really chew on. And if yeah. you really have to, you try to do the hit, the, hit, hit them at the heart. Hey, do you mm -hmm. know anybody who's been, been hurt on a farm? Or, you know, again, me in rural area, mm -hmm. a lot of family businesses, people think, 
about the guy who got his arm ripped off in a PTO or something like that. Right. And you say, you don't want that to happen here where, you know, where you're responsible for it, Mr. CEO. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. this is your ship to sail. Mm-hmm. So when people mm-hmm. get hurt here, you should care, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and fortunately, I feel like our team here is very in tuned and um, quite frankly, they got me running like crazy because they have high <laughs> expectations and I, I really appreciate that. And they do care, right? You'd rather have it. You'd rather have it that way than 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 the other end of the spectrum. Absolutely. And it's unfortunate. Some of us in the safety profession, to your point about not mm-hmm. having the support to get help, some of us don't have what I feel really fortunate that I do have. Yeah. Um, and what do you do in those spaces? I think that's yeah. a really good question. What do you do when you don't have support? And it sounds super generic, but for those of you that are feeling hopeless right now, you do the very best you can. That's the answer. Yeah. You do the with very each best day. you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. With each day, I would, I would completely agree with that and make those connections with the people and do the work well, um, and, where and, you can. And take and truly evaluate the risks because yeah. if you can prioritize your energy, because there's only one you, mm-hmm. for those things that are highest frequency most severe potential and you focus on them, you are doing a service to that employee base. That's right. That's right. That's how I've approached my work over the years as well, because as we've established safety's job is never done and there's always a new thing. You know, it's not like you, you end your work day and go, Oh good. I got everything done today. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we'll start over tomorrow. You, you know, uh-uh. it, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. So you managed to, to get some help. Um, for yourself, what's it been like for you managing people in safety? Cause that's an opportunity that not everybody gets to have either. What's been what's been surprising, or what, oh, what's what's it been like? That that noise, I just ugh, like oh. <laughs> managing people in anything you do. I think is totally different than managing a program, or even right? not being the direct supervisor. Once mm-hmm. you become the direct responsible supervisor. It's different. Um, mm-hmm. This is the first job I've had where I directly manage a, you know, a team. And it's been a yeah. really awesome learning opportunity. I've mm-hmm. been blessed to have amazing people on my team. And it's really fun to get to know folks and try to lift them up. So I've always kind of kept the, the rule of thumb is if your employees are happy, they're going to work a lot better. And they're mm-hmm. going to have that passion and that energy every day that, that you need them to have. And so, you know, have a bit of reality, a bit of humility when you mess up and be open with them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's all about building trust. And it's so important that you are capable of putting yourself out there. Yeah. You know, employee, I don't, I don't know all these things. Help me. Help me. What is it that you see? Be collaborative. Mm-hmm. At least for me, I choose I choose collaboration with my team versus dictating what they do. I choose mm-hmm. to ask them about their interest points and try to assign them where their strengths are aligned. And I think that's really important too. Too often, and I think it's an old school way of thinking, we try to assign jobs that people will struggle at with the thought that it'll <laughs> give them the Teach opportunity them to improve, yeah. right? Yeah, right, right. But um, we... Uh, really like this other model and there's a, a program out there called strength finder mm, and it's yes, a I really it well. cool it's a really mm-hmm. cool way of evaluating your team's strengths 
and matching them and partnering people to be the most successful, either with the projects you assign or the um, challenges that are out there. You know somebody's really good at future thinking and somebody else yeah. is really good at communication or whatever it might be. And you partner Executing the right team. Executing on something. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And so yeah. you've got folks that have great strengths that are going to make that project run perfectly. And um, they feel really good about it because it's fun for them instead of being knocked over the head constantly. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I believe in that. I believe in, um, you know, giving people the time to actually do their review. But I don't just do it once a year. I usually will meet with my staff at least four times a year. And if we're having problems, I meet with them more to talk yeah. about, you know, who's the project you signed up for when we talked about you know, your goals for the year. How's it going? Mm -hmm. What else is more important right now? Mm -hmm. quite Do we frankly, need to change something? Yeah. Exactly. It's not yeah. written in stone. And I think it's really important people understand that too because you want them to work on the most um, important priorities. And if their project they thought about a year ago is no longer the biggest priority, why are they stressing out about it? Right. So, <laughs> right. Um, you know, it t that takes time and it takes a ton of energy. And as much as you invest in your team, you're going to get back. Right, and right. it means that I'm not on the floor as much as I'd like to be, but I trust my team. And that mm -hmm. means there's three of us out there on the floor instead of mm -hmm. one, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you got to kind of look at it that way. Right, right. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you on uh, working toward your strengths or with your strengths. And if anyone listening is wondering what the heck we're talking about, the assessment Brandy's referencing is called the Strengths Finder. And it's um, something that's an assessment that was developed by Gallup, where people take a quick test essentially to find out what the top five strengths they're naturally born with. It's not something that necessarily we developed over time, but what are we naturally, what are we naturally strong and what are we naturally good at? And then once you know that about your team and the people that you work with, it helps figure out like how to build a team, how to approach someone on something. It's uh, it's, it's really interesting. So strengths finder, if anyone's curious to follow up on that. Brandy, what's your number one strength? Do you remember? I am, I tied. I was okay. responsible. Responsible uh -huh. was one, and I'm a woo. Woo, uh huh. And that that the woo. <laughs> I'm not a woo, but do you want to explain what woo is? <laughs> oh man, I haven't taken my strength finder for like three yeah. years, but I'm a woo, so, which means it's like it's somebody who walks in the room and throws a party. Like right, exactly. Know, it's winning. People, it's winning people over. <laughs> yeah, people are are excited to visit with you traditionally because yeah. you bring that energy to it. Yeah, 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 exactly. My uh, my number one strength is something called activator, which means um, I'm good at, well, the, th the thing that drives people crazy with activators is my leading question is, okay, I've heard enough. When can we get started? Activators always <laughs> want to go. Like, I've got enough now. Let's go. And activators are also really good about um, building consensus around something and getting people excited about it to take kind of that first step. Um, and so, yeah, anyway, so it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. So when mm -hmm. it's fun to yeah. lead by positive, um, versus putting you into a, well, you need to work on this. So here's a project for you. It's just, yeah, you that need to starts get out negative 
totally all over. Totally, yeah. totally. So now that you're in a position where you're essentially mentoring people, how do you find your own mentors? Like how, how are you finding um, help for yourself now? Or do you have a mentor right now? Well, I have learned something over this time. Um, about, I don't know, towards the beginning of my, my career, actually, um, I went through a class and I had a really good manager as well. They told me all about having a board of directors. Now, hmm. it doesn't mean that you can just have one mentor. You don't need just one person to help you out. In mm-hmm. fact, again, the whole concept of there's lots of different skill sets out there. Mm-hmm. And just because you have challenges with some of them doesn't mean everybody does. Mm-hmm. So I have a group of people that I rely on. And it depends on what the challenge is on who I call. Yeah. So I feel like I've grown dramatically from a strategy standpoint as my career has morphed into more of this leadership role Mm -hmm. and that did not come naturally for me um it was one of uh sitting down with a couple different people that i felt did that really well um Mm -hmm. so for me i sought out people who did things really well where i didn't feel as comfortable or confident in Mm -hmm. and yeah so from a mentorship standpoint I look across the company I work in, but I look outside of the company as well because sometimes it's nice to have a clear view and somebody who doesn't know all the politics that go on in the job you're at because they give you the information that you really need to to synthesize and bring back to the company or bring back to the problem. And it's it's unimpeded in a sense. So I have a, a whole lot of people I rely on to mentor me. And I guess that's something that I learned really early on. Mm -hmm. I love that idea, how you frame that as your own board of directors. (laughs) That's, Mm -hmm. that's gene, that's genius. That's genius. And you know, the thing about, the thing about our profession is often when we're solo operators, um, where we are, it's hard to find people within our own companies to ask some of those really specific things to. And, and the great thing about our profession is there's really so few of us that we really like to help one another. It's so cool too, because you really can't claim it's copywritten or anything like that. Right. <laughs> you can share your stuff. There's nothing that's proprietary about safety. And it's, right. it's kind of the way I think, Jill, the community, to your point, the small community of safety professionals, we embrace yeah. each other and lift each other up because there's nothing to compete over. We all mm-hmm. are making a difference in in society, in making sure all of our employees are going home. And if mm-hmm. I can share something that I learned, hey, awesome. That makes it even better. Right, right. Agreed, agreed. Like you, I've built my own board of directors too. And I love the way that you frame that. I'm going to use that now for my for myself. And you're awesome. right. I have, key, I have key people that I reach out to for specific things. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you're right. Um, so when you reach outside of your company, it does help kind of synthesize or gives you a gives you a new way to look at something Mm -hmm. and yeah it's great I love that I love that I've had a really cool opportunity to I'll mention in regards to mentoring and peer mentorship um you know not that I'm trying to blob out all these things but the Minnesota Safety Council I've felt done a really nice job of making regional groups where Mm. um or for me our regional group gets together I think quarterly Mm-hmm. And it's a good, you know, quarter of the state 
safety professionals that are part of the Minnesota Safety Council. Mm-hmm. We'll get together and bring our problems to the table. And that way, I've got 15 other safety professionals, 10 other safety professionals that hear about the problem and help me problem solve it or throw out even a nugget that I can run after. And it, mm-hmm. it makes it so much easier um, because we all have such different experiences and um, we all have, I think, something to share. So mm-hmm. that's been a really cool a place to share ideas and mm-hmm. a way that networking and that safety community can help each other. Um, and there's other groups, you know, like the ASSE that mm-hmm. get together and you can sit down and network. And I just find that is so incredibly valuable, not only for the problems you're trying to solve, but again, if you're able to help somebody else solve a problem, it feels good. And I think most safety professionals are in this area because they want to make a difference. Right. And um, sometimes we get assigned safety. Like some of the folks that I, I've worked with in my previous jobs, um, it's one of six hats that they have to wear, and it's more exactly. of a burden. Right. And I have always found that it's unfortunate when a situation like that happens because you have to actually find the buy-in. You have to you have to push the buy-in of safety on the safety person on the, at the facility. That's not <laughs> exactly. right. Um, right, right. Mm-hmm. But it's also one that you have to have a lot of patience because mm-hmm. even if things do change fast, they never change fast enough. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I have found a tremendous amount of patience in the in the in this arena because mm-hmm. if you beat yourself up over all the things you wanted to have happen faster, you forget that um, you might not have control over it. Right. It's uh, it's it's very much a marathon, not a sprint. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And 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 if I'm going to send out any advice, just remember you don't have control over everything. Like I wish I did. <laughs> Exactly. There, there, there. We don't. We wish we had the safety magic wand. Um, yeah. But, but uh, another often, bit of advice. Often don't. Yeah. Another mm-hmm. bit of advice would be when you go home, go home and don't carry it on because that's how you get burnt out. And I think our profession can be one that people get burnt out on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's a really good. That's a really good tip. So how how do you go about turning off that safety button? It's hard. It's right. really hard, um, <laughs> especially since my facility runs 24-7 the majority of the year. Um, yeah. It's it's really hard, but I think the biggest thing for me, and it took me a while to figure this out, but the biggest thing for me was trusting other supervisors and trusting that I did the best I could to prepare them to be yeah. my safety advisor out on the floor. Yeah. So on nights and weekends, if I'm not here, and I come in sometimes on nights and weekends, but when mm-hmm. I'm not here, it's going to be okay because I prepared the other staff to yeah. take the lead. And I think that's right. a huge piece that sometimes is forgotten, that we don't prepare our supervisors to be successful. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I've been in the same same situation um, as you, and it took, it took a while to get people to a point where I felt like it, it was okay and that they stopped calling 24 <laughs> seven. Yeah. That, that um, you, call you know really that sucks. Right. You, and they'll be like, well, we knew that you'd wake up easily. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like, exactly you know, your fo- yeah, you knew, I, I, we know your fault. We know you're not, 
we know you're going to answer. We know that you are there and um, really sorry for waking you up. I've, but, you yeah, know, but. And, then, and then and then you get the story and, and you know that you're succeeding when those calls and those texts start to decrease because you've taught them to fish adequately and they're doing it on their own. But in the in the beginning, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. yeah that, that 12 to 14 hour days I was talking about. It's yes. a lot. It's a lot. But yeah. it's worth You've it. Been there. Yes. Been there. Done that. That's that's great. And I love that. You know, the legacy you leave behind. Let's say I, I get this yeah. great opportunity and win the lottery. At least I know that that I'm not leaving a big gaping hole because I've built a bandwidth here to support the company in general. And yeah. it's hard to get that supervisor buy-in, but they're the people that you need to get bought in first. They right. have the biggest influence on the mass of people out there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, maybe um, maybe one last question before we before we end our time together. Um, do you do you have, you know, on a, on a day that you're maybe thinking, oh, this, you know, here we go again. Here's this job. Do you have a, a story or situation that um, motivates you that sometimes you have to lean into or remember, lean back into to keep you moving ahead? Yeah, Some- I have one that generally has driven me. Um, and I have one that's more recent. I'm going to pick the one more recent because that's mm-hmm. what resonates with me now. Mm-hmm. But um, this is a this is one of those dirty secrets people don't want to talk about, right? Yeah. Um, three months into my starting at the job I'm at, we lost an employee. Mm-hmm. We had a fatality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, mm-hmm. thank you. Every time I think about that about the thought of losing another employee, about what his family must have gone through, mm-hmm. about the fact that he should still be here, that he was going to retire in two months and mm-hmm. have free time to be doing his hobbies. Mm-hmm. Every time I think, oh, I just can't keep going, I think of him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be as morbid as what I'm sharing. It can be yeah. anybody who makes a difference or who you look at and said, that shouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. Or I could have changed that. And so I guess for me, I, I think about that employee and I think about other employees that have had, you know, um, strained back or something that has impacted mm-hmm. their life so greatly that they're not going to be mm-hmm. um, capable of doing what they love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That's yeah, what though, motivates. Yeah. Um, very much the same for me. And I, I tend to remember and lean into those stories when you're dealing with those safety cliches that sometimes come our way of, oh, but nothing's happened. Or I've been doing this this way for 30 years. Or, oh, yeah. Oh, right. Right. It's like nails on a, it's yeah. like nails yeah, on a chalkboard. If, if, yeah, if people only knew how, how many times safety professionals hear those words or all that safety stuff just makes the job more dangerous or takes longer or harder or it was only going to take me this long then that's when I lean into into those same stories like you're talking about with with your employee loss um uh, because it does matter it does matter and those cliches are just that they're simply they're simply cliches I kind of get sassy and I give them a cliche back 
right? <laughs> and, and then they, you know, stop, so. <laughs> I know. <Same> I, I <laughs> Hopefully I don't have a big eye roll going on <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> you know, the good part is most people around here know me well enough that when they say it, they're going to get a reaction, and usually they say it out of jest. So uh-huh. um, we'll, we'll leave it with that. Yeah, yeah that, that's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, hey, you know what? I, I do. Maybe I do have one last safety question um, for you or something to share, because I, I, if I remember correctly, you had a an interesting opportunity to be on a board for something specific or lead the charge for something or begin something. What was that success story that you had? Oh, my goodness, Jill. Remind me. <laughs> um, Which- let's Oh, I know what it was. Um, Okay. I'm guessing this is one of the stories I've told you, right? Um, So our industry is is beet sugar processing. And um, there are several processors throughout the United States. And there's a foundation called the Beet Sugar Development Foundation. Mm -hmm. And that group of companies, the, the whole industry basically gets together and shares best practices or goes off and does studies and shares the the information um, that's funded across the board. Well, I asked our VP of operations, why don't you have a safety committee in that um, group of people? And he said, well, that's that's a great suggestion. You'll be leading that. Oh, dang it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so um, we've been having a safety committee across the industry now wow. meet uh, once a year. And it's been for the last four years. And we have branched away from the general meeting that happened. Um, you know, it was already established where they talked about research or, or other operational best practices. Mm-hmm. And we meet with, uh, with that team because our executives from each, each business are also there. We meet with them every other year. And then we also, the opposite years, meet at a facility. So it's a really awesome opportunity where we have a lot of like issues. Um, and I get to host, say, if we were at our, my facility, you know, mm-hmm. 15 other safety professionals that are in the same industry. And the amazing thing that happens is it's a little bit scary and daunting because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, my God, what are they going to see that People I'm going to be embarrassed People are coming of? in. Right, right, right. What did my eyes miss? Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, but it's really cool because, again, it's all in the same vein. Hey, I see you have the same problem. We fixed it by doing this this solution or whoa, we never thought of doing that. And so you don't even mm-hmm. have those conversations in a, in a meeting room because you don't think of talking about it. But when you're right, out you on can't the see floor, it. Mm-hmm. exactly, mm-hmm. it brings mm-hmm. up such amazing conversation. And so we have been um, going now, like I said, four years, and we've been to two different facilities. Um, well, actually, like four in, in one one. Uh, meeting because they were located very close together, but uh, really cool opportunity to partner across the industry and network and talk about having similar issues. Not Mm -hmm. everybody can say they're seasonal, they're union, they're Mm 24-7, you know, all of these challenges that Mm -hmm. a normal response or solution just doesn't apply. So it's just super cool to get with that group and and work through some of the stuff that we're doing. Well, way to get a seat at the table and to make history all at the same time, simply by asking the question. Yeah, just be ready to take that one on. Um, oh. But it's been really fun and really rewarding. So 
Oh, that's awesome. That's so awesome. Oh, Brandy, thank you so much for taking your time to uh, today to share your story. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure our listeners will appreciate it too. Thank you all so much for joining in and listening today. And thank you for the work you all do to make sure your workers make it home safe every day. You can listen to all of our episodes at vividlearningsystems.com or subscribe in the podcast player of your choosing. If you have a suggestion for a guest, including yourself, please contact me at social at vividlearningsystems.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.